Let's take up and read the prophecy of Isaiah in chapter 12. Isaiah chapter 12. And in that day you will say, O Lord, I will praise you. You were angry with me. Your anger is turned away and you comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For Yah, the Lord, is my strength and song. He also has become my salvation. Therefore, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And in that day, you will say, praise the Lord, call upon his name, declare his deeds among the peoples, make mention that his name is exalted, Sing to the Lord, for he has done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, O inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in your midst. Thus far we read this word, which will be also the preaching text tonight, Isaiah chapter 12. May God bless the reading of the word and hear now the preaching of it. This word is... It speaks of a certain day. It is the day of the Lord. That day is the day in which we will have much to say and much to praise God about. Actually, the day of the Lord in Isaiah, not only but throughout the scripture, in which there are some 200 references to that day, is a reference, first of all and finally, to the end of time, when the Lord himself comes. At this time, there are some very wonderfully peculiar things that happen on this day. And the first is that God will show himself to be great. He always does, but on this day of the Lord, he will surely show himself to be great. This is the idea of verse 6, cry out and shout, O inhabitant of Zion, for on that day we shall know great is the Holy One of Israel in our midst. The second wonderfully peculiar thing is that this day of the Lord, most often a day of God's wrath, focusing on the anger of God towards sinners and judgment and so on, is here described as a time when God's anger is turned away. O Lord, I will praise you on that day. Though you were angry with me, your anger is turned away and you comfort me. And so the greatness of God, the turning away of his wrath, is seen in this day, wonderful day, for which God's people long. I want to remind ourselves of the setting here in this chapter and in the preceding chapters. We've been exploring that setting, the setting, in fact, which is the setting of Isaiah's ministry after he received this revelation of the king on the throne in Isaiah 6. Post-Isaiah 6, and after that, when Isaiah began his ministry of speaking judgments to the people of God, he speaks of Emmanuel. And we've been considering in our series of sermons this truth of Emmanuel from the perspective of the inspired prophet Isaiah. In chapter 7, we learned that there would be a sign of Emmanuel and his birth, God with us, and that would be 
that he would be conceived and born of a virgin. Isaiah 7, verse 14, clearly fulfilled in Jesus, who is called by the angel Gabriel, Emmanuel. Chapter 8, we learned of the blessings, especially the safety of God's people in Emmanuel's land. Specifically, twice, it is said that we are to, to be composed and be at peace, even though judgments come, because the land in which we live, even the kingdom of heaven, is Emmanuel's land. Chapter 9, we learned this morning of the great light that Emmanuel is, and by which we know him to be our Savior, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, his name is wonderful, and so on. And now we hear of Jehovah's, or Emmanuel's, day in chapter 12. This, in fact, is the end of the book of what's been called Emmanuel's book in Isaiah. There's the book of Isaiah, and there's Emmanuel's book in Isaiah. The focus has been on this, and it's a wonderful thing. In fact, we are linked up to this day of Emmanuel by the Incarnation. That's, in fact, the dawn of the day, as we shall see the, the wonderful reality of God with us on the ground in Bethlehem, and now and forevermore, this reality of God with us, Emmanuel. Well, beloved, here's something that a lot of people miss about Christmas and about every day. They miss that this is a day of the Lord. We don't want to miss it. In fact, God is calling us now to the party, to the birthday party, to the day of the Lord party, to celebrate the birth of his special firstborn, even Jesus the Christ. This our Savior, God with us. So let's consider this Emmanuel's day, this great Emmanuel's day. First of all, the day, secondly, the dawn of it, and then we're going to speak of how Jesus is the inauguration of this day. He is, his is the first day of the day of the Lord. And then finally, the delight we are to have in it, not the least of which is we are to draw water from the wells of salvation. So, this day of the Lord and what that means. Just a few things. First thing is, is that on this day, Jehovah is great. Jehovah is revealed as great. That's the idea. This is the day in which Jehovah shows himself to be wonderfully great. Great is the Holy One, especially in the midst of Israel. God with us, Emmanuel, is seen as great. Now let's understand, children, catechumens, let's understand. The truth of God is that he's always God, he's always great. Our call to worship in Psalm 145 was this, we extol the God whose greatness is unsearchable. Great is the Lord, his greatness is unsearchable. He's that great. He's that good. He's that high above the mountains. He's deeper than the oceans. He's brighter than the brightest, uh, brightest light, and he's wiser than all of the counselors of this world. He's God who is love. He's God who is faithful. He's God who is wise. He's God who is, well, God. And so something about the day, however, that reveals that God is truly great. 
The day is, after all, when God reveals his wrath. Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 11 speaks of this. The lofty looks of man shall be humbled, the haughtiness of men shall be bowed down, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. The final day of the Lord, and whenever God reveals his day, is a day when God shows he's holy. He will not mess with sinners. He cannot behold iniquity except to punish it because he's God. He will have no fellowship with sinners whatsoever. The soul that sins must die or have a mediator to take his place. So God in his holiness, his purity, the fact that he's light and in him is no darkness at all is revealed in this day of the Lord. And then there's, of course, the mercy of God that's revealed in the day of the Lord. If you just look back at a chapter preceding chapter 12, there's this day when what comes forth is the rod from the stem of Jessa, the branch that shall go out of the roots of David, the house of David, which seems to be nothing but a stump at that time and destroyed and and nothing good ever going to come out of it. It's prophesied that there shall be something good to come out of it, even a king, and that king is Jesus And in that day, we're told in verse 10 and following, great things happen when the root of Jesus sprouts, when the son is born. And that is, we shall have the Gentiles seeking after the Lord. We shall have even a foretaste of heaven because the wolf shall lie with the lamb and the leopard with the young goat and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together and the little child leading them. There's a foretaste of that day of the Lord, which is eternity and the dawn of eternity and heaven. And so the mercy of God is exalted there in chapter 11 on that day of the Lord. This day, the day of judgment, the day of mercy, is when God shows he's great in his sovereignty. He's king. And all along he shows that the... the, uh, The government of the universe has been upon his shoulders, and now he's given it to his son, exalted to his right hand. This goes to show only that the greatness of God is seen, especially in the day of the Lord, which is the day of Jesus Christ. That's what it's called in the New Testament, the day of the Lord, the day of Jesus Christ. Another way the Bible proves the divinity of Jesus Christ for the Lord Jehovah will not share his glory with any other, so Jesus must not be any other but the very God whose day it is and which is celebrated throughout the Bible. So God is speaking of this day here in Isaiah, the 8th century B.C., and the judgments are about to flood upon the people of God, but the, or at least the nation of Israel, but there's this people that knows the turned-away anger of Jehovah. God has always been visiting this earth in great days, and this one here, this day of the Lord, is, we could say, the fulfillment of all those days. For example, when God visited the world in the flood, that was a day of the Lord. When eight souls, Noah and Mrs. Noah and their Children and their wives, eight souls were saved out of all of the wreckage of humanity that had given itself over to idols and the rejection of God. And 
That was when God visited the earth, and it's a foretaste of, of, of the end of time, as Jesus says, just like in the days of Noah. That's the way it's going to be at the end of time, people just carrying on like there is no God, shaking their fist at God, and God comes, came then in the flood, and will come at the end of time to show his greatness and his wrath, but also his mercy to the elect of God. At Babel, of course, the confusion of tongues. People wanted to make a name for themselves in building this tower of man and tower to man. And God said, no, I'm God. Not time yet for the anti-Christian kingdom to uh, threaten my church and the coming forth of the seed of the woman. Not time yet. Go your ways. And God disperses the nations just like that on that day of the Lord. When Sodom and Gomorrah were burned up in all the cities of the plain. That was a day of the Lord. And especially the day of the Lord is seen when God blesses Israel so that Israel should cry out and shout as inhabitants of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in our midst, and especially on that day. Now the dawn of that day is when Jesus was born. This is how we interpret this day here. Need to, to understand the context. Remember, we've been considering Isaiah 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12, at least four or so sermons from that. But I remind you that Isaiah 12 follows right back, or right after Isaiah 11. Isaiah 11 is the prophecy of the rod and the stem of Jesse, the branch. That clearly is Jesus Christ, the seed of David, the branch of David who comes and who is the new king of Israel. But then Isaiah 11 is connected way back to Isaiah 7, and the sign of Emmanuel was this virgin birth. And the birth, therefore, of Jesus prophesied then. And then, as we saw this morning, there's that wonderful announcement of the child who would be born and the son given and the government would be upon his shoulder. And this one's name is Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Well, that's Jesus. And so, this Emmanuel, or this God with us in the midst of Israel in chapter 12, and that day where there's going to be a celebration of that is nothing less than Emmanuel's day, his birthday. And in this, therefore, we are led to see great the holy God in the midst of us in a way like no other, at a time and a visitation of God like no other day. Creation self pales in comparison to this day. The flood, the universal flood, the destruction of Babel, the scattering of the nations, Sodom and Gomorrah's destruction, any other day in which Jehovah showed himself to be this great God, nothing in comparison to this conception and birth of a virgin of the Son of God. Think of it. Think of the glory and the wonder of Christmas. I tried to bring this to 
the saints, the aged saints in uh, Sunset Matter this afternoon. And I told them I'd need another sermon to do this or maybe an eternity of sermons to try to grasp the wonder and the greatness of God in the midst in this amazing thing. This God taking on flesh. How can that be? Try to wrap your mind about it. Philosophers of old have been stumped by the incarnation and they've said, ha, it's, it couldn't happen. So they postulated that if there's anything divine and eternal and maybe some idea, and that's the reality, some idea or some force that's great and it has something to do with time, well, maybe that's just the flowing forth from the idea from this being or many beings to earth so that the earth somehow participates and becomes a part of the idea and the principle and the thing and the great whatever it is. And so the philosophers have tried to answer the question, and this is getting, I hope not too philosophical, but thoughtful. They've tried to answer the question of that one that they think is there and the many that is certainly here. And how can there be one, like God, and many? And how can the two meet together? Well, it's impossible. Just like the God of the Scripture saying, I am with a people. I am God who is Emmanuel God. I'm at the end of my wits trying to think about that. I'm the God who is high and who inhabits eternity, Isaiah would expostulate in chapter 57. And yet I dwell with the meek and the lowly. I am the God who is spirit. And yet I take on flesh. And I don't kind of morph and transmogrify or whatever into stuff. I create. But here, and this is what Christmas is all about, God is not creating his son. He's sending his son into the womb. And the person of the son appointed to this, volunteering for this condescension and this limiting of his body, He takes on the human flesh. He's not created. He's uncreated. And yet there is this beginning of a newness of his existence. He is God, and now he's God with us. And this day is so significant, it's as if there was, it never could be, never could have been even promised, except there be that to which the promise looked forward to. We never could have had a book of Isaiah and a book of Emmanuel promising God with us unless there would be this thing that happened. And when it does happen, we're all left wondering. And I submit to you, my dear fellow little people and sinners, wondering is a good place to start. When you go to the cross, wondering, not buying, 
not wondering what we can give to Jesus or about the presence under the tree, but wondering about the presence of God with us. Theology is meant for us to ponder, not to be ponderous and, oh, I just don't get it, I can't, not to confuse us, but to humble us. And the greatest of theologians amongst us, and the greatest of thinkers amongst us, and the wealthiest amongst us, and the wise men from the east or from the west or the north or the south or from Holland or from Italy or Germany or wherever you're from, all to go to the manger, then to the house where Jesus was, to the word of God that reveals it, and bow down and say, this is this great God in our midst. Here's Emmanuel. What a day! Christmas Day, we call it. Incarnation Day, more accurately. The day when the kingdom comes because the king has arrived. A day when there's judgment and the axe is laid to the root of the tree of Israel, which had rejected Jesus. A day when mercy is seen, especially and the anger of God is turned away from his people. Because, as we saw this morning, it's the birthday that speaks of the death day. It has to be. For this one, this day, is a day that's inaugurated by Jesus, but which means that it's not just about this birthday. And that's why it's a terrible thing to be a Christmas Christian, and to come to church just on Christmas Day, though I hear because next Sunday is Christmas and Christmas is next Sunday, there won't be people coming to church because they don't come to church on Christmas Day. They open presents and they drink eggnog and they stay in their pajamas. Uh, it's a real crisis for the liberal churches because it's either Sunday or Christmas Day. What are you, you going to have? Family Day or church family day and preaching and that, that stodgy stuff like dressing up and actually worshiping. Uh, it's a good thing, I guess, for them that Christmas on Sunday only comes every six or seven years. But be that as it is, beloved, the worship of that one is the understanding of that one who is born to die. And so Christmas looks ahead to Good Friday and then to resurrection. And you see, the day is this beginning of the whole thing that leads to the end of time. The day when the anger of God is turned away is the day Jesus is given, to be sure, and then he's given to the death of the cross and the darkness that covered the whole face of the earth and the chaos is laid upon him and the wrath of God is upon him. And then there's this day when the truth, as it is in Jesus, for now he's risen from the dead and he's received the Spirit to pour out among the sons of men and to save his elect. There comes a day when that Spirit comes into our hearts and 
So we are turned from our sins, and for many of us in the covenant of grace, of course, this may, may occur even in the very womb, just like John the Baptist when he was uh, uh, apprised of the fact that Mary was bearing the child Jesus. He leapt in, his, in the womb of Elizabeth for joy. Why? Because he was born again and he had this joy. And I say to many of us, this has come to pass, and we hardly even knew it for some of us maybe later in life, but here's the fact. The day of the Lord is now something we're made a part of personally. The great Jesus has come for us. The Son is born for us and given to us. And that, that's what Christmas is all about is I suppose the, the Hallmark cards say it's, it's Christmas in my heart. There's something to that. Though there must first be Christmas over there in Palestine, in Bethlehem. Or there's no such thing as God with us, as he said. Well, beloved, this is the day, the dawn of the day. The dawn of the day. And it's to be delighted in. That's my final point. The psalmist, or excuse me, the prophet, he sings. He Really, it's like a hymn. In that day you will say, God, O Lord, I will praise you, though you were angry with me. It's almost like the prophet here is He's not commanding. He's just saying, this is what's going to happen. He's saying, in that day, here's what's going to happen. You're going to say something. Oh, Lord, I will praise you, though you were angry with me. Your anger has turned away, and you comfort me. And you're going to say this. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For Yah, the Lord, is my strength and song. He's also become my salvation. And then you're going to do something with joy. You're going to draw water from the wells of salvation. And in that day, you're going to keep on talking. You're going to say this, and you're going to say that. You're going to declare something among the peoples. What is the prophet saying here is the reaction of the people of God? Well, for one thing, it's, it's all about delight. This is the word I would use to describe that. We're delighting in Jesus' birthday. It's a birthday party that we want to come to. And we want to lead the angels. The angels aren't even redeemed by that, that child. Move over, angels. We want to lead the way. We want to lead the way of the wise men, too. And we want to lead the way of the Jews and the Gentiles because... That's our delight, but the reason it's our delight is because it's, it's God's delight. This is the fount of all our joy. Is God happy in this or that? Well, then we'll be happy. Is God happy with the birth of his son and not just bragging about a son or a daughter that we would brag about or a, or a granddaughter or a grandson? Oh, it's so holy is his delight. God has made by Jesus the worlds that Jesus might come into them. 
into this little planet, Earth. Earth! Of all the planets and all of the solar systems and galaxies and whatever of the world, Earth is visited. And then on the Earth, the aliens look down if they had any existence and they say, my, what a corrupt and foul bunch of people there. Well, that's what God sees too. But God visits it anyway. He visits this dark place, this dark and bloody ground, this land of the shadow of death where it's one grand cemetery. That's about it. But God delights in this day. You see, he's going to show off his grace. He's going to show off his glory, his wisdom, his power, his might, his mercy, everything. And here is the day. And God's happy. Therefore, we are. Therefore, we are. And we confess that this day is for us so happy making the heart because it's our salvation. Oh, Lord, I will praise you. You were angry with me. Your anger is turned away. You comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid For Yah, Jehovah, is my strength and song. He also has become my salvation. There's a personal confession here. Isaiah is speaking to all the group, the remnant, according to the election of grace. But he's also going one by one. And so is the Spirit tonight. In that day, if Jesus means anything to you, and children, listen up and look it up because the minister's going to point his finger at you now. It's you and 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 I were met here. If we be the people of God, this has to be. This day, the birth of Jesus, which means the death of Jesus, the presence of God in Jesus is everything to us. And this is our salvation, even. There's no life without him. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Born. Cuddling up to Mary. Needing just like we are, but he's the king of the universe. And he's everything to us. We're born again by his spirit. And that's why we're... So happy, with joy, we draw water from the wells of salvation. Now, water is a metaphor in the Bible for blessings. Water and abundance of water in the Middle East, in the Middle East was much more appreciated then, especially then, than now and here. Look at all the water we have, great lakes even. Here, as from well, we draw water. Abundant is the source, refreshing is the source, untainted is the water, and it's good and it's life-giving and it's constant. There's a constant supply, and this is simply saying with joy we are blessed and we would believe the blessing of God and delight in the blessings of God because this is our life and though we are poor as church mice and though we're not so popular, though we're not influential with City Hall, nevertheless, 
God has blessed us, and we are so happy because Emmanuel means life to us and life eternal to us. With joy, we drink, and we drink, and we can't get enough. He's our strength, and he's our song. And you see, these words and these descriptors of who he is to us are these personal ways we describe that God is everything to us. A couple sermons ago, we preached on thou shalt not covet, and the positive was you shall desire God, Psalm 73. I desire God. Well, is that your desire? God. Here's another one of those questions that comes to us, because the psalmist says, Yah is everything to me. He's my strength and my song. He's my joy. He's my water. He's my food. He's my eat, eating and drinking. He's everything to me. And the psalmist is simply, or the the prophet here is saying, as a psalmist, do you desire God? Is that it? I know we have lots of desires in this world, and we have lots of things that we draw from to, to enjoy creature comforts and so on. But the thing that makes for a real Christian is that God is real to us and Emmanuel is not just some theology or some sermon or just for some service. There is something that's tucked away in here that is edifying. Let me try to untuck it. The psalmist is speaking here of a day, a very special day, and I believe and agree with some of the commentators who say that that day is juxtaposed and put on top of or compared to the day of the Exodus. Look at chapter 11 and verse 16. It said there, on that day there will be a highway for the remnant of his people who will be left from Assyria as it was for Israel in the day, the day that he came up from the land of Egypt. And then there's the song of of Israel's thanks for the day. But if you look at the first Exodus, and we we considered this in our series on Exodus, in chapter 15, there's a very similar song that they sang on the other side of of the Red Sea. Moses and the children of Israel, they sang this song to the Lord and spoke on the other side of the Dead Sea. On that, excuse me, the Red Sea, that day of deliverance and Pharaoh and the dead bodies are floating up on the shore. They said this, I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song and he's become my salvation. He's my God and I will praise him, my father's God, and I will exalt him. Sounds a lot like Isaiah's song here. That's why it's been called the second thanks for the second exodus. There's something to this. He's looking to another day that's even greater than the day of the first exodus. And this is the day when Jesus is born and inaugurates this entire economy of salvation on the other side of his birth, not only, but of his cross, when he's saving undeserving sinners. And you see, if we just go to church on Sunday and we just celebrate Christmas on Sunday, what vanity. 
Because the Bible is speaking of things that are much more than that. That one day, that one time of reflection, it's speaking of the beginning of eternal praise and eternal thanks and the great and copious blessings that come from heaven in the side of the Savior who shed his blood for sinners. So how much more than the Old Testament people of God to the New Testament people of God who know the second exodus, the central deliverance through the blood of Jesus, how much more do we celebrate and rejoice looking for what might be termed a third exodus, even the final, final day when Jesus comes again. Oh, beloved, so there's joy and There's joy there, right? And there's joy in what the prophet says will happen to the people of God. But then the question is now, is this this your joy? Is this my joy? There's something here about this day of the Lord. I think we need to get into our noggins and into our hearts and appreciate in our lives. If one day... And the day of many since our Lord Jesus Christ has come is important to God, and he's the eternal God. But one day, because it's his son's day, and and then the next day, which is in this new dispensation, is important to God. How about for us? And if in this time, great is the Holy One of Israel in our midst, shouldn't it be that every day we live in that presence of God as As people say, Koram Deo, before his face, every day, private, public, living before the face of God because of this day and the significance of Christmas Day and God with us, God forever changing time, forever changing the sons of men, forever giving a new perspective of eternity and of time of what is really worthwhile and what is a waste of time. A perspective which is a worldview for a people that knows that sometimes joy is in the suffering for Jesus' sake. And sometimes joy comes in these unusual packages just like that one born from Mary's womb. Beloved, Emmanuel's day is everything. May every day for you be Emmanuel's day. And may you say and cry out to the whole world, inhabitant of Zion, great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of me, in the midst of us. You cry out and say that and live that by faith. And celebrate. 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 Amen. We ask you, Father, we may not lose the moment of when we heard just now We heard this explication of truth 
which sons of men can only really stammer about. We heard what shall be done among the inhabitants of Zion when the day arrives. We've heard that it's come, really. It is to come, but it's already come in Jesus. And we've heard what they shall be like who are true people of God. They, they love God. They delight in what God delights in. They rejoice. They love to draw water from the wells of salvation. They love their Bibles. They love the church. They love the plan and purpose of God. Lord, we pray, may we not let that drop. May the word of God have its way that every day is a great day of the Lord for us. Hear our prayers. We celebrate in holiness and happiness your people for Christ's sake. Amen.